G'day you mob, Pete here, and this is another episode of Aussie English, the number one place for anyone and everyone wanting to learn Australian English. So, today I have a GOSS episode for you where I sit down with my old man, my father, Ian Smithson, and we talk about the week's news, whether locally down under here in Australia or (laughs) non-locally overseas in other parts of the world, okay? And we sometimes also talk about whatever comes to mind, right? If we can think of something interesting to share with you guys related to us or Australia, we also talk about that in the goss. So, these episodes are specifically designed to try and give you content about many different topics where we're obviously speaking in English and there are multiple people having a natural and spontaneous conversation in English. So, it is particularly good to improve your listening skills. In order to complement that though, I really recommend that you join the podcast membership or the academy membership at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get access to the full transcripts of these episodes, the PDFs, the downloads, and you can also use the online PDF reader to read and listen at the same time. Okay. So, if you really, really want to improve your listening skills fast, Get the transcript, listen and read at the same time, keep practicing, and that is the quickest way to level up your English. Anyway, I've been rabbiting on a bit. I've been talking a bit. Let's just get into this episode, guys. Smack the bird and let's get into it. So, we were just talking about COVID and viruses. My question that I wanted to ask is, what do you see as the ramifications of curing diseases like um, the common cold or even things like malaria or imagine we get to a place where all diseases are cured. What do you think the ethical ramifications are of that mm. more broadly in terms of, you know, the global, the, the global yeah, environment? That's, that is an ethical question. It's- um because I think we, you know, there's one side of that discussion will say that the while a human population is still increasing exponentially, uh, it's being maintained within viable limits, mostly by disease and starvation. Yeah. Both of which are curable, <laughs> you know, yeah, in, in the broad sense. Um, then you've got to look at it and say, I don't know that anybody is making that decision. You know, whoever, I don't, there is nobody anyway, because you know, decisions are not made on a global scale. They're made by individual research companies and you know, drug companies or political decisions about which crops to grow where and so on. Um, but I think there is there. Eventually, you you could sit down there with a you know bunch of philosophers and ethicists and say, should we be curing disease and starvation? Yeah. Because the alternative is that the human population just goes out of control. And that's such a hard hard question, though, right? Because disease is going to get worse and starvation is going to get worse. So, it's not just fix it once and it's done. At at the individual level, that's- it seems like a no-brainer. It's like, yeah, you don't want someone to starve to death. You don't want them Mm. to die from disease. But then when you expand out and look at it at the population level and ironically aiming to cure it or stop it could potentially lead to- the very thing that you're trying to fix becoming worse. Yeah, yeah. because we've got- yeah, we'll never- it's like the- um, people constantly talk about we need a cure for cancer. There will never be a cure for cancer because you can't stop DNA from mutating. Yeah. 
but what we can do is that we can have a whole lot of treatments well, for Well, the cure cancers. becomes prevention yeah. more so, and, right? And there, and there is no such thing as cancer. <laughs> yes. in one disease. Well, it's like saying disease. There are disease. hundreds of different sorts of cancers, um, each of which has different causes, different treatments, uh, and so on. So, um, And the same thing with disease. We're not going to just go, oh, we'll cure all diseases. Well, you might. You know, let's, uh, let's hypothetically think of a world where we do have the technological and medical understanding to, uh, to cure all diseases today. COVID's going to pop up tomorrow, the yep. next COVID. So we're never going, it will always be behind the eight ball uh, with regard to that. So, yeah, that ethical thing is probably, it's a hypothetical discussion because I don't think we're ever going to be at the point of saying, well, we don't have to worry about that uh, because there's always going to be the impossibility of resolving it as a global issue. I think what's more interesting to think about is individual diseases. And you mentioned malaria is a good example of that. AIDS is a good example of that, where... Um, because they have a disproportionate negative effect on the world. They do, yeah. And because they're curable. Yeah. They're, they're solvable. Uh, you know, AIDS, you know, HIV infection used to be a death sentence you know, within a matter of years for people who were infected by it 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, now, people live with HIV... Yeah, relatively normal lives for a normal expected lifespan. I think you're but not expected costs, to die from it anymore. That's right, right. but it costs a lot medicine. of money <laughs> to uh, to take the drugs uh, in order for that to happen. Um, Especially in America. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's not go there. Um, <laughs> malaria um, is not curable, but it's preventable. And so one day it might be curable. Uh, but once again, we're talking about two diseases that are uh, in their highest proportions in the poorest countries in the world. And so we're, as a, as a global society, uh, we're effectively saying, do we want to solve the world's, you know, the two biggest problems in terms of disease um, for you know, two of, maybe three or four, um, for the poverty-stricken countries in Africa? And clearly we do because the world spends billions of dollars a year. Uh, even the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation probably spends more money than most countries do um, on AIDS research yeah. uh, and, and curing AIDS, uh, particularly in Africa. Uh, malaria research is, has been going on for decades. Uh, and so I think there's that thing that's saying it's not about do we stop all disease, but it's what can we do to resolve some of those? Aim for the low-hanging fruit. Low fruit. But then you also have that problem that it's not just a single solution. You say, all right, if we yeah. could flick, flick a switch tomorrow and say nobody in Africa, South America, you know, yellow fever in South America is another example. Oh, Kel's had that, yeah. yeah exactly. And uh, people die from it. People die time. from it, um, particularly those that live in, you know, in poverty and in poor conditions where yeah, it's a curable disease if you've got modern medicine, yeah. but if you don't, you're going to die. Uh, yeah, you've had scarlet fever as a child. If you had scarlet fever 100 years ago, you died. Yeah. But now for scarlet fever, all you have to do is keep the body temperature down and you'll get over it in four days and you're done. Uh, but um, so I think that's that thing of saying this is not just an isolated thing of saying, well, we can flick a switch tomorrow and we can cure AIDS and cure malaria and yellow fever and whatever. Um, what do we then do to help the populations in those people? 
you know, that starvation is only going to get worse. If all of a sudden you don't have millions of people a year dying um, of disease, then starvation is the next problem. So we have to fix that as well. I guess you just have so to do that where you those fix one things. thing and then yeah. you work on the next one. Yeah, right? but as I think you have, to, you have to be doing that in um, in concert. Uh, you can't just go, oh, well, we'll just spend the next 10 years fixing all these diseases. Yeah. And then go, oh. Just led to more problems. Led to more problems. We need to be doing them all together. So. What do you think- it's that Very esoteric. Yeah. Well, what do you think, though, the big changes would be if you woke up tomorrow in a world that had no disease? Because you imagine- there's a lot of things that our that that we that's completely hypothetical. Yeah, of course, but it, it seems like a movie that you would see out there, right? Where people, you know, what is it like that Ricky Gervais movie where he wakes up one day and he realizes that he can lie, but no one Nobody else can. Else can. Yeah. You you wonder what behavior or systems that we have in place that would completely f- flip or change if tomorrow people realized that there were no diseases, there were no negative ramifications of, you know using tinder too much or <laughs> well yeah there's there's some behavioral transmissions of disease sexually transmitted diseases um things like you know the flu and the common cold and things that you know we we know this now with covid if, yeah yeah if we can you know the old gag about you know the 11th commandment and the bible should have been wash your hands well it should have been the first commandment. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah well, it, well i won't get into the opinion of the first five commandments but um <laughs> But yeah, just you know, if wash your hands had been one of those things that people did for thousands of years, yeah. Before they you know, put their hands in their mouth, they rub their eyes, they pick their nose, they handle children, did all of those sort of things. Then a lot of those diseases you know, would they would never disappear, but they would simply be uh, yeah much less prevalent in our society. So I think there may well be some of those behavioural things. Certainly, if if you said to people that sexually transmitted diseases are never going to happen again then I'm sure people's sexual behaviour would change. Or would be affected. And very yeah. quickly, uh, because there must be, in many people's minds, a re- a consideration of their sexual behaviour um, is, am I likely to get an STD? Yeah. Um, if you that wasn't a consideration, then people's you know, decisions would change. Uh, I think if we looked at it in the reverse with regard to things like social distancing and... Uh, and washing your hands. And we've talked about this a bit earlier on when COVID first came out. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to have an overhang for months, if not years, uh, on things like people using hand sanitizers and washing their hands a lot, Um, people not hugging people they don't know. Even shaking hands has become a sort of... Even now, people, you you go, you you, you meet somebody socially, you sort of tap elbows rather than shaking hands. And that'll be a... A hangover that will last for a long time. It's funny though, right? Because we have so many of these cultures, say in Europe, where they kiss each other on the cheek, mm. and I mean, it's totally arbitrary. You know, you go to Japan and they don't shake hands; they bow. Yes. You know, I'm sure there are completely completely different ways of greeting one another that are you know on that spectrum. But well, you, the, the Pacific Islanders, Maori people, touch noses, yeah, touching noses. Yeah, so. but you you wonder if that's what that's going to lead to. I remember when I used to do jiu-jitsu and there was something really therapeutic of, I mean, you were fighting other people, but the human contact side of it, of touching other people, oh, yeah. of hugging yeah. other people, not necessarily, even though you were fighting them, of just 
being that yes. close to other human beings, smelling them, touching them, even tasting them at times because they'd sweat in your face and yeah. everything. There was something about the fact that all of a sudden you, with lots of different people, had this very, very close social contact on a regular basis. Mm. And I remember thinking about that quite often and just being like, you know, how many people are there in society? For instance, you, you and mum, you know, or even me and Kel at the moment. We probably- the, the For the last year, the people that I've hugged are probably within a hundred meter radius of yeah. this house. My, you know, my sister and her family, you and mum, Kel and Noah, yeah. effectively, yeah. especially after COVID. But what happens in a society where that's already suffering, you know, ailments of, the, of social distancing that's kind of in, as a result of social media, of the way that we work, of the way that society is very spread out all over the place right now. Mm. You wonder what happens emotionally when we are a creature that evolved to live in very small groups of people, hunter-gatherers, physical contact on a daily basis. You knew those people from birth to death and- you spent time with them every single day, effectively, yeah. and you all had you all worked together against a common goal, which was effectively just survival, one way or the other. And you're kind of like, well, what happens when society puts you into a position where you are further and further from people, despite being surrounded by them at all times? Mm. You know, it's a very alone in a crowd. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of mind fuck, right? It where is. at times you realise that you know, I go out into the shops, and for the first time. In humanity's existence, you know, this last few hundred year period that people are living in places where there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even tens of millions of people in a single location. But you've probably never been. This is also the first time in history that people have been so isolated from one another, despite feeling like you're not. Like, I don't know my neighbors' names. No. We've lived here for a year and a half. And I mean, I know one or two of them. But Mm. back in the day, you'd imagine 100 years ago, the village, you knew everyone within a kilometer radius. Yeah. But I wonder what the um, mental and emotional effects are going to be. And and I, you would think we'll come up with solutions. You know, people are already becoming very hyper aware of, of social media and its negative effects on children, on young girls, on young boys, and, and how they perceive themselves, perceive the world, how they interact. But you wonder what's going to have to change and if we will start- you know, moving towards, okay, well, we actually need to make sure that we do have a certain amount of contact. Yeah. But then if we have things like diseases and we're like, well, the solution is the wash solution your hands. Is, yeah. But what happens when that's weighted against, well, although you were a lot less likely to die of COVID, you're actually, as a result of social distancing, not hanging out with enough people and, and washing your hands and all these other things that are now forced upon everyone, getting depression and, you know, yeah. more and likely to also, kill yourself because you're you won't also not going to be, be developing immunity to things that yeah. are common. Yeah, because we develop immunity to a whole lot of things um, just by experiencing ex- exposure to them. Um, and and look, there's there's a lot of on the psychological side. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that um, as social animals and primates, not just humans, but yeah. primates in general, um, if you remove physical contact from them, it's one of the most devastating things for yeah. mental health. Um, and and that's and and you can still be within proximity, but if touch isn't involved, um, it's it's a you know has a devastating effect on the psychology. Well, you wonder if that's um, about being abs- um, part of the group, being mm-hmm. accepted, yeah, it's a and, and that being reinforced constantly. Yeah. yeah, but I, I think there's a, there's a balance in there because I think what will happen is that 
we've already got uh, changes in the way our our workplaces operate, um, and and the recognition that people need to take sick leave when they are sick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many people do you know when you were working at the museum that I know when I was working in schools and things? Yeah. yeah schools are the classic example. I mean, I was a high school teacher, and you're working in a you know micro environment of a thousand people. And kids come to school sick and teachers come to school sick because there's only so much sick leave that you can have. There's yeah. only so much, you know, particularly with young kids, there's only so, mu- so much um, sort of social support that many families have. You know, if a kid's got a cold, it's typically you would say, I oh, will stay at home because you yeah. don't want to infect other people. But that means but one parent, means has, one to stay parent has to stay at home and if that's not possible and so on. So I think now there'll be this recognition that you know, staying at home when you're sick and just avoiding that contact in the short term it's means funny that, you that can that's trust flipped. to do it the other way. It's it's sort of flipped though, right? Because I mean, back in the day, I remember, you know, if people don't. Ah, oh, you're sick and you didn't show up to work. Ah, oh, you pussy. You just yeah. didn't want to. You know, yeah. you're just being lazy or I whatever. A friend of mine who always used to say, um, yeah, make sure if you get sick, you turn up to work because then when you pull a sickie, everybody will think, geez, I remember what he yeah, was like last month yeah, when yeah. he came to work. He must be really sick now. Well, and now it's going to be the complete opposite. You would imagine, at least in the short term, where it's like you have the slightest symptom and yeah, you came to work. You're, you're, you you gotta, psycho! You're sniffing. Like, yeah, I've you're got hay kill fever. Us all. It's, oh, it's yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy how something like COVID is going to have completely inverted mm. that kind of social behavior on yeah. a large scale, where people will probably now actively encourage employees to be like, if you have the slightest symptom, yeah. stay the hell home. Yeah, exactly. But. Yeah, it, well, particularly it, when we we have and look, the flu was the same thing. That yeah, if you're a, a doctor, you would be able to distinguish within 24 hours whether somebody had a cold or the flu. Uh, but your average person isn't going to know until they get really sick. You don't get really sick from a cold, but yeah, yeah, I've got a bit of a headache, I've got a sore throat, I've got uh, a sniffly nose, I've got a cough. Yeah, the first 24 hours they're the same. Yeah, um, one gets better, the other one gets worse. Um, and so I think there is going to be that thing of how are we going to be able to distinguish the what's acceptable illness to have in society and what isn't, and that's going to be the big change is just determining what it is. If people become pariahs because you know as we joked about a minute ago, you, know, you turn up to work with hay fever and everybody runs away, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so this isn't contagious. You know? Do you yeah. have to have a medical certificate that allows you to come to work rather than one that tells you you have to stay at home? That's another thing that I think we will get to say, yes, this person is sick, but they are not contagious. Yep. Yeah. They're just sick so, in the head. Yeah, they're just sick. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was going to say something witty, but I can't remember what it was. So, oh, you were half just right. leave it there. Yeah, yeah it was, it was going to be really funny, guys. Yeah. So, just laugh on your own there. <laughs> Have we got time for a puppies and kittens story? Yeah. Do you want to do this one separately or in the same video? Oh, well, it's up to you. Do we run it? Yeah, go for it. If you think it's going to be less than 12 minutes, we'll smash oh, this it out. Be, well, it depends how long. We were talking about koalas <laughs> earlier in go New South it. Wales. There was a story that came out uh, today about- Actually, it wasn't. It was a few a couple of weeks ago. I saw it today. Um, of a koala that a lighthouse keeper found that had climbed up his lighthouse. Jesus, they got sharp claws. Yeah. <laughs> My God. So, If anyone ever wonders, why do these animals have such sharp claws mm, and so why they are they curved- lighthouses. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it. But they, they, I remember seeing this with goannas. They would literally run up trees. Yeah. They're not using the claws to kind of get really deep into the tree or anything. They're finding, they're finding the smallest little nook or cranny and the hook of the claw just sits on it. Yep. And the strength of it just holds the entire animal up. Mm. 
So, that used to be something that we were terrified of when I was doing masters with um, goannas. The big thing was we had to try and Climbing catch them. Legs. Well, we had to try and catch them so that we could pull out um, DNA from the goannas to be able to use in genetic um, tests to be able to put together their phylogeny, their family tree, and see how they're related to one another and everything. You know, that'll tell you about the landscape or populations and conservation problems. But we used to have to use a dog pole to get these big goannas. So, Varanus varius, the lace monitor, was the one I was working on. And this is Australia's largest goanna. It's the sister species to the Komodo dragon. Komodo has actually evolved in Australia. So, they're originally <laughs> from here. They just ended up in um, Indonesia on the- they were, they were there and then they became extinct in Australia. Yeah, exactly. And um, so, we used to have to put these traps out that were these kind of like rectangular prisms opened up and you'd have- feral rotting chicken in a bag outside of it as well as inside of it. So, you'd have it outside to get them all to come over and check it out. Then they go in and get stuck. And so, you'd go around, check all these traps and have to then put it upright, open it just enough to shove the dog pole in and then try and get the head. Yeah, through the loop. These guys have got big claws, but they've got teeth that are a similar shape to the claws and hundreds of them. Yeah, and, and they- really nasty saliva. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Because they eat-, they eat mostly carrion. They'll eat anything. Dead. Animals. Exactly, so. exactly. Well, yeah, and anything they can find inside a tree hollow. Yeah. We, there were quite a few times we saw these possums and birds screaming and you're like, well, what is that? And you see the goannas just eating them. Yeah. But we used to have to- You pull them out of the trap and then the, getting the DNA, well, the easiest way to do it without harming the animal was to actually to take blood out of the caudal vein. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. reptile blood is nucleated. Yeah. So, uh, again, biological terms- Mammalian, and I assume bird blood is also nucleated. I'm not sure. It is, yeah. But mammalian blood, the, the blood cells don't have nuclei. The, red blood cells don't have Yeah, nuclei. red blood cells don't because they're shaped in a way that carries more oxygen. And so, if there's less- Allowing oxygen transfer. Yeah. That they're like a um, cough lolly. With yes. The, indented, know, more surface indented, area. Yeah. So, you've got a greater surface area for the size of the thing. Yeah. So, in order to do that, the cells- Obviously evolved to not have nuclei, which is the place that the DNA is kept and um, which takes up a lot of space. But anyway, because reptiles obviously don't use as much oxygen or it's not as big of an issue, um, they have DNA inside their blood cells. So, we could just take blood and then you could do the DNA extraction on that. Well, they are so-called cold-blooded poikilothermic. So, they don't need to have as much oxygen flowing around because they don't need to maintain their body temperature either by reducing it or heating it up. Yeah. They just sort of go and hang around in the sun to warm up. So yeah, well, that's- Get out of the sun Hang on the cool tree, down. on the yeah, outside of a tree. Exactly. But the interesting thing was that we used to- We'd get them on the dog pole. So, you'd have this- this Effectively, what you would see out of the movie Beethoven or something where the dog catcher gets the dog on the end of a pole and yeah. is trying to, you know, put it into a cage. Have the lizard on that. Someone would have to grab the tail and try and straighten the lizard out. And then you'd come behind it, grab the back legs and put them together and then duct tape them. Yes. And then the front legs, you'd go and do those while the other person controlled the head. And then you'd have to duct tape around the mouth as well in order to then just take- It looked so funny because he's like hogtied. Yeah. Little goanna is just like, I'm not going to hurt you. <laughs> but um, when we had to let them go, the process was you had to find a big tree, push the goanna against the tree, cut the tape on the hind so it, legs. So, it would grab hold. Yeah. yeah so, the, the, the back legs would grab hold of the, of the tree, cut the tape on the front legs. 
And then lastly, you'd have to Take like the hold the head and cut the tape off the face uh, to let them climb up the tree. Because if you did it on the ground, they'd run up their instinct leg. was to run up a tree <laughs> and you would have a bad time. I remember yeah. I've still got a scar. In fact, you can probably see it here. Yeah. Um, about an inch long from where one of them got me. Um, just scratched the crap out of me because they remember, have- um, They looks like eagle claws. Yeah. They're yeah. I remember crazy. when I worked at the zoo and we used to- I was in the education service at the zoo. So, we used to go out and work with the keepers occasionally just to have a better idea and understanding of the, the way the zoo operated. And I remember working with the reptile guys once and um, I was perfectly happy handling snakes and even you know, helping them with the venomous snakes because you know, those snakes are so well trained that once they're up the back of the enclosure, they were so used to people opening yeah. the enclosure and- cleaning up and stuff. Um, but the one thing that I wouldn't go into was the lace monitor enclosure. <laughs> and they said, and unless unless you're in there with, yeah, they had these sort of big leather, uh, you know, chaps on yeah. their legs and stuff because said they see you, they'll just come and run up your legs because you're the tallest thing in the enclosure. Well, and if they so- bite you, they tend to not let go. Yeah. Which would be- But snakes as well, non-venomous snakes. Yeah, we would- um, by them a few times. We would be using the dog pole and sometimes they would grab onto it and- I don't know if it's reptiles, but they have insane bite forces yes. where it just keeps going down. In their jaws as well. Yeah. And so, ratchet. I kind of- I think you knew someone who got bitten in the calf or something, right? Or yeah, in the arm by yeah, a goanna. Basically just ripped a, half the muscle out of the calf. Yeah. Do not want. No. Do not want. But um, anyway, that's probably enough for today, Dad. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming Koala, on the goss. Koalas up lighthouses. I know. Think about it. Yeah. Keep an eye out next time. <laughs> next time. I assume that was New South Wales, it? Was, was it was in New South Wales, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the All one right. koala that's left there is you know, never rescued <laughs> from the top of a lighthouse. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a, yeah. Sad, uh, a sad note to end on anyway. Thanks well, for joining us, guys. Thanks. <laughs> See Bye. ya. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Me and Noah, he's here as well, smacking the microphone with his spoon. That was another episode of The Goss. Don't forget, guys, if you want to get access to all of The Goss episodes, the transcripts, the MP3s, the videos, the entire episodes from one to- I think we're up to like 40-something now. Yeah, that's it, mate. Um, Just go to aussieenglish.com.au and you can sign up for those. Anyway, I'm Pete, your host. This has been another Aussie English episode. It's a pleasure and I'll see you soon.